Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So this weekend, we are wrapping up the series that we started a couple weeks ago called um, Do Good, Live More, Be Rich. And it's all centered around three verses that are found in, in the New Testament. It's in the, the book of 1 Timothy, which was really just a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a young pastor named Timothy uh, who was pastoring the church. And he said, you need to instruct people about these things. And, and the very things that Paul told Timothy to instruct his church about is what we as pastors are told to instruct our people about because it continues on from generation to generation. We all have to learn this over and over and over again. And so it all comes from just these three verses in 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you want to turn there, you can follow along with me. Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, to command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. We titled this series based on the the instructions or the commands that Paul gave to Timothy, and it's simply this, um, to do good, to live more, and to be rich. And we started kind of backwards a little bit. We started the first week about being rich and what that looks like. And, and basically, the, the takeaway from all that is every one of us in this room pretty much qualifies. Because if you have above and beyond any bit beyond what you, the bare necessities are, you are rich. And that we live in the, one of the richest parts of the richest country in the richest time of our history. And yet we don't feel rich. And so we need to understand that we are rich and then understand the responsibilities and the challenges that come with that. And then last week, Pastor Larry did a great job talking about this idea of doing good. That there is something that happens when we together become generous and start to do good with our time, with our talents, with our resources, with our money. That when we pool our resources together, we are able to bless and love on our community. And we do it through things like the Dollar Club. We do it through things like our outreaches with uh, Trunk or Treat or um, uh, the Family Spring Fest and all the other things that we do in our community. That there is something powerful when we together learn generous living and then bring that together and that way serve our communities. And there's something very powerful about that. That's the do do good, be generous part. Today, I want to wrap it all up with this idea of living more, Um, because that's really what Paul talks about when he says, teach them how to take hold of the life that is truly life. And what it basically comes down to, if I could put it in a nutshell for you this morning, it's this. It's not what you have. It's what you do with what you have. And what we're going to learn today is that although it seems counterintuitive, it seems paradoxical, it doesn't really seem right, but the truth is that the way to a rich life is through living a generous life. Now, that doesn't seem to make sense because we think if we give away, then that's less for us. But what we're going to discover is the truth of the matter is that as we give away, we get back more. And, and so that's the idea is how do we take hold of this life that is truly life? And at the end of this message, we're going to give everybody an opportunity. We did this a couple years ago 
um, to take a very decisive step in that direction. So if you want to pull out this card out of your program, you're going to need it a little bit later. You can set it off to the side, but don't let it get away from you. We're going to come back to that. So I want to talk about this idea. How do you take hold of this life that is truly life? And I think it starts with this. It's learning to live gratefully with what God has already provided. See, Paul starts this whole thing talking about the generosity of God, reminding us of God's generosity. He says, command those who are rich in this present world to not put their hope in their riches, which is so uncertain, but he goes on to say, to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. See, it all begins with God, that we serve a generous God. And we need to remember that because if we forget the character and generosity of God, then we will have a hard time living a generous life. So it all starts with God. And, and, and so that's why we do things like we did this morning, sharing together in communion. It is one of those constant reminders that we need to know that God is a generous God. He is a gracious God. He does not withhold, but he gives. He is a giving God. And that's where Paul starts. And he says, notice he says, he says, tell them to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment, not meagerly provides us or barely provides us or stingily or sparingly provides us, but who richly provides us. In other words, he's saying there is this level for each and every one of us. That's, that's our basic human needs, okay? Food, clothing, shelter, whatever you want to call it. There are these things that we, we need to be able to exist, okay? But God doesn't just give us barely what we need. He richly provides. In other words, he provides above and beyond our needs, that this is our God. He is a generous God, and he richly provides. And so above and beyond what we need, there is this thing called where God richly provides, and the space in between is a margin, okay? It's, it's a margin that he has given to us. And, and that's where it comes into this idea to provide us with everything for our enjoyment, that we have, we have above and beyond our basic needs. He's given us more. He has provided us with this margin, in which we can kind of enjoy these things. Now, here's the problem. We live in a culture that even though it is the richest area of the richest country, the richest time in our history, we have a culture and a society that keeps telling us over and over again, we need more. That's why we never truly feel rich, because we are bombarded every day with these messages that say, you need more. You don't have enough. You need more. You need newer. You need brighter. You need shinier. You need more powerful. You need faster. You need more processing power. You need more gigabytes of RAM. You need more, 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 more. And we are bombarded by these messages every single day. It's been estimated that the average American on the high end, and this is probably an exaggeration, but it's estimated that on the high end, the average American experiences is exposed to at least 1,500 messages messages a day, ads telling us of what we need. Now, a lot of people say that is just way an over-exaggeration. It's, it's probably closer to somewhere around 300. Most experts agree that it's somewhere probably in the neighborhood of five to 600. Five or 600 messages a day telling us you need more. That's the culture that we live in. No wonder we don't feel satisfied. Because as long as I focus on what I don't have, Instead of what I do have, I become less and less satisfied. I become more and more discontent and less and less grateful for what I already have. Paul says it's got to start with learning to live gratefully within the means that God has already 
provided us. That that's the starting point in all of this. Because see, here's what happens. Because we're bombarded by these messages and it feeds this idea that we don't have enough and we need the brighter, newer, shinier, faster, more powerful, what we do is we kind of fill up that margin. And instead of living, you know, just in a comfortable way above and beyond, but, but still having margin, we bring it right up to the limit. And in fact, what we do is, most of us in this room, what we do is we not only get to the limit, we exceed the limit. You know how we do that? Debt. Credit cards. I got one of these this week. In fact, I get probably about four or five of them every single week. An offer. I am pre-approved. I am pre-approved for at least $5,000. And, and in fact, if I want to transfer from some of my other cards onto their card, they won't charge me anything. No interest for, for 12 months. I mean, I get these every single week. Offers for lines of credit, new credit cards, all kinds of things. You probably get these too. We are constantly bombarded with, you need more, you need more, you need more, and here's how you can get it. And in essence, what it's saying to God, really, when we make that decision to go into debt over all these, and let me just tell you, I have made enough of these mistakes along the way in my own life. I'm not telling you like I've got this all figured out. I have made this mistake more than once. But in essence, what I'm saying to God is, you know on that provision thing, God, I think you're kind of shortchanging me. Because there's this other stuff that I really need. And since you're not providing for it, I'm going to have to figure out a way to make this happen myself. In fact, that might be a prayer that you try the next time you consider taking on more debt. It just kind of stop before you charge that thing. Just say to God, okay, God, I'm just acknowledging right now you haven't provided enough for me because there's the stuff that I think I really, really need. And since you haven't provided for me, I'm going to do it on my own. And what happens with that is we think we are buying happiness but what comes with it is the stress and the anxiety and the financial pressures, pressures that is no longer life. And we think we have improved our life. And what we have done is we've taken away from it. And that's why Paul says godliness with contentment is great gain. Not just godliness, but godliness with contentment. And it's not just gain. He says it's great gain. In other words, contentment pays off big time. If I could just learn to live in contentment, and to realize that God has already richly provided for me. And instead of maxing things out and going beyond what he's already provided, learning to live within and reestablishing some margin in my life, it leads to a better life. It's taking hold of the life that he intended for us to live. Second thing is then to start viewing my present resources with an eternal perspective. Because that's the second thing. Now i got to see, okay, this is what God has provided me, but, but there's an eternal value here. There's something to be done with this. Paul addresses those who are rich in this present world. He says, teach them to be rich in good deeds and be generous and willing to share. And he goes on, he says, in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. In other words, this life is not all there is. There is another life. There, there is something beyond this. And what he's doing is he is actually echoing the words of Jesus who said this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. In other words, what he's saying is even the stuff that you store up for this life will not last through this life. It's going to wear out. It's going to rust out. 
and what doesn't wear out or rust out is in danger of being taken away from you at any moment. When we were first married, we had not been married more than three, four months tops, and the place we were living was broken into, and we were burglarized. Now, you got to say, we were newlyweds. Most of what we had was borrowed from our parents, okay? That's what we had. That was all of our worldly possessions. It was somebody else's stuff, except for I had a stereo system that I had bought, and it was my pride and joy. And Betty had a leather coat that had a fur trim um, collar. It was the 70s, okay? That stuff was in style back then, okay? And our house was burglarized. And you know what was taken of all the stuff that they could have taken? My stereo and Betty's coat. (laughs) The only two things we had of value. And I learned really, really early on. Even the stuff that doesn't wear out or rust out can be taken at any moment. And Jesus said, that's just a bad investment, you gotta, you got to get a, a different perspective. you got to get an eternal perspective about, about your stuff. Last weekend, we, we took a week off. And uh, my wife and I took, um, with our daughter, son-in-law, and our grandkids, we went down to Disneyland. And I found a really great deal. So we, it's a, uh, we found a place, one of those sweets places. They're all around Disneyland now. Um, and and uh, it, for all of us, with breakfast and everything, we could all fit in this one-bedroom suite deal. And, and it, was, it, was very, it was a sweet deal. It really was. And so we made the reservations. We went down there. We checked in. And um, all six of us crammed into this little one-room suite. And there was a separate bedroom. So that was their family and the kids. And, and we had the hide-a-bed with the bar right about the middle of your back. You know that, okay? And um, and it was a great deal. And so we booked it. And, you know, as I spent some days in, or nights in that place, I began to realize a lot of other families had had the same idea. Because this place has well-worn. There were some frayed spots on the furniture. And there was one cushion that actually had a little bit of a hole in the upholstery. And, and the strip that kind of delineated the carpet area from the linoleum area. It was starting to come up. And I thought, man, this place could use some improvement. But not once did I give one moment's thought or one penny to doing it myself. This from a guy who just spent six months remodeling his bathroom at home, okay? okay? But I had no interest at all in replacing or repairing or remodeling or redoing any part of this room. You know why? It wasn't my house. It wasn't my home. I could put up with this for a few months, a few nights. It didn't matter to me because it's not my home. We need to get an eternal perspective to recognize really the stuff that we fill our lives with and the things that we look to to give us life, this is not our home. This is a temporary deal. And the possessions and the resources and the stuff that we have, we need to take an eternal perspective with them because really it's all temporary. Paul wrote to Timothy, we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. And that has been true since the beginning of time. It's just temporary. So what's eternal? What truly matters? How do we distinguish between temporary and eternal? What truly matters? How can we shift our value system? Well, what are the things that matter? What are the things that last? What are the things that move from this life into the next God and his kingdom, your soul, 
Jesus said, what, what would anyone give in exchange for his soul? What if you gained the whole world and lost your soul? Your family, other people, acts of kindness and generosity, deeds of love, those are the things that carry into eternity. Bill Hybels suggests, in fact, we kind of talked about this a couple of years ago, that if you just took out a you know, sticky note, sticky pads, and, and just go through your whole house and just write temporary and eternal, okay? And just go around and write temporary and put a sticky note on everything in your house that is temporary. And then write eternal and put that sticky note on the things that are eternal. And you'll find that we spend most of our time most of our energy, and most of our money on stuff that is just temporary. He says we need to shift our perspective, get an eternal perspective about the resources that God has given to us. He's given to us richly, but he says it's also to be used for eternal purposes. And then the last one is this. To truly take hold of that life that is truly life, I need to develop a generosity strategy. I need to have a plan. Because if, if it, it's all about the direction of our heart. Jesus finished that teaching. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And since our hearts tend to drift toward selfishness and, and, and acquisition... And since our hearts tend to drift towards the temporary and putting our values there, we need to do something to shift our hearts back in the other direction. Because that's where your heart's going to be. So you got to shift your treasure in that direction. I need to redirect my heart. And that's why Paul instructs Timothy, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And he says, not only because they're laying up a foundation, treasure as a foundation for the life to come. He says, not only about the life to come, but that they also may take hold of the life that is truly life. It turns out that generous living in this life is beginning to apprehend and take hold of and grab hold of the life that is truly life. That it not only affects the life to come, it affects our life here and now. I've been reading a book the last couple of weeks. I picked up, found it kind of by accident. It's called The Paradox of Generosity, and, and it it's a, it's, comes from a study that a man named Christian Smith did. Um, he is a social scientist, a professor of sociology at Notre Dame University, and he, and he really wanted to do, because he's a sociologist, he really wanted to delve into what is the effect of generosity or ungenerosity on the human spirit? How does it affect our lives? Because so much of it, so many of these messages that we get from, from religion tells us that, that you, when you give way, you get back. And so he actually did this, and he said, it really is true. That what they did is they did a survey of over 2,000 people. And then about a quarter of them, they did more in-depth interviews with all of them and just talked about their giving or their lack of giving and about their health and about their well-being, about their outlook on life and all of these things. And, and they be, put, compiled all the data and it just came to, over and over again. It, it emphasized this idea that people who give away significant portions of their income or significant portions of their time actually live richer, fuller lives. They actually get back more when they give. That it's not just something that's in the Bible. It's not just something that a religion teaches. It's not just a, a philosophy. It really is true. 
And what they found was it's people who, who significantly, regularly practice generosity, who reap the benefits of it. What they found was in every category of life that those who were generous in their lives, they flourished. They enjoyed better relational health, better emotional health, better physical health. That there's something when people, they did MRIs on people, and they, and they found that as people were generous in that act of generosity, it actually stimulated the reward centers of the brain. And, and they found more and more that people who tended to hold on to and not be generous tended to have an outlook on the world that the world is a terrible place, and everybody is out to get you, and you got to hang on to it, and you got to clutch tightly because it's all up to you. Whereas people who were generous had a world outlook that the world is a wonderful place of blessing and enjoyment, and, and they actually lived better, richer, fuller lives. It was an amazing study. In fact, let me read to you their, their conclusion. They wrote these words. He said, those who give receive back in turn. By spending ourselves for others' well-being, we enhance our own standing. In letting go of some of what we own, we better secure our own lives. By giving ourselves away, we ourselves move toward flourishing. This is not only a philosophical or religious teaching. This is a sociological fact. He goes on. The generosity paradox can also be stated in the negative. By grasping on to what we currently have, we lose out on better goods that we might have gained. In holding on to what we possess, we diminish its long-term value to us. By always protecting ourselves against future uncertainties and misfortunes, we are affected in ways that make us more anxious about our uncertainties and vulnerable to future misfortunes. In short, by failing to care for others, we do not properly take care of ourselves. This is no coincidence that the word miser is etymologically related to the word, word miserable. It turns out, God knows us. It turns out God has hardwired us for generosity. Although our hearts tend to drift towards selfishness, we actually benefit when we give away. And, and social sciences are just discovering what Jesus said centuries ago. That we actually live richer, fuller, healthier lives when we live generous lives. So we need that strategy. We need a plan. And that's what we talk about around here. That generosity needs to be something that is planned. It's got to be a part of our budget. We've got to work it into our value system to make sure that we do it. And, and the way that God gave it to us was this thing called the tithe. Literally, it means a tenth part or 10%. And God gave that to us to train our hearts and to move our hearts in the direction that it's meant to be. We looked at this week one. Bring the tithe to the designated place of worship. Doing this will teach you always to fear or honor the Lord your God. That we need to teach ourselves and to train ourselves in that direction. And so it's got to be planned, and it's got to be proportional. 10% is what he, he, he marks out for us. And it needs to be a priority. That was the other thing that Smith discovered in their studies, that people who made that a high priority and did it regularly actually reaped greater benefits than those who just kind of did it sporadically or when they felt moved to do so. That the long-term benefits came when people made it a priority, they made it planned, and they made it a percentage. 
And God knows that about you and he knows that about me. And so that's what this try the tide is really all about. If you want to pull out your card. We did this a couple of years ago. And, and a lot of you, for the very first time, tried the tithe. And many of you discovered exactly what Christian Smith um, wrote about in his book and exactly what Paul wrote about to Timothy and exactly what Jesus taught his followers. That God blesses when we give away. He more than makes up for it. And so we challenge people, and many of you did that. And some of you have started regular giving, but maybe not a tithe. And so we're giving you an opportunity, again, to take a very practical step in this direction. Now, we can't make you do this, okay? This is really going to be up to you. All we can do is teach and encourage and give examples and, and all of that, but you've got to make the decision. But there is something about decisively making that choice and then making it known. And that's what the card is all about. When you fill the card and you're letting somebody else know, you're saying, I want to be held accountable to this. Now, this isn't, we're not going to kind of track you down and make sure, okay? This is really between you and God. But there's something about making it known that solidifies the commitment in our hearts. So we're just telling everybody, this is the challenge. For the next 90 days, make a commitment to just try the tithe. And after 90 days, if you don't truly believe that God has enriched your life in some way, shape, or form, if somehow you have not received benefit from doing this on a regular basis for three months, you could stop. We truly believe that this is how God works his economy. And so we encourage people. So if you have never done this before, this is maybe a first step for you. And maybe 10%, that's like way, way far for you, this stretch for you would be 5%, then do 5 But do something makes that we're really encouraging it to really go all out in this. But just try the tithe. And so on the, the, the left-hand side is the box. I'm, I will start tithing to my church each month for the next 90 days. Now, there's also something called offerings, and that's kind of the above and beyond. For my wife and I, we tithe. We have from since we were married, actually since before we were married, each of us individually. Since we've been married, we have always tithed to our home church. Whatever church we were a part of, wherever we served, wherever we attended, we have always tithed to our home church. But the above and beyond that 10% tithe is something called offerings, and that is giving above and beyond. And, and we do that in a lot of different ways. We actually give above and beyond to our own church. We've, we've done it through things like our building project. We've done it just as a means of uh, a matter of, of, of consistency. Um, we also have been heavily involved with Hope for Kids and, and their ministry. And so that's another ministry that we support with our offerings. Um, Walk for Water is another one for us. Um, over the years, we've, we've just there's a lot of different ministries that we've supported. Um, Young Life, uh, Campus Crusade for Christ, others like that. Things that are important to us. That's our above and beyond. That's our offering. And you might have some of those that you want to do. Now, the box here says, I will start tithe, giving above the tithe to my church each month. Maybe that's a step for you. If you've been doing tithing and you're going to take, okay, that's become very comfortable for you and very easy, and maybe you need to take another step of faith, then, then check that box. And maybe, maybe your offering is going to go somewhere else. I don't know. Whatever God lays on your heart, okay? But, but take the step. And then the, the third one is, I will continue to give above my tithe each month. Maybe that's where you're already at. And you're saying, yeah, I'm just going to continue with that. But we really encourage you to fill out this card, drop it in one of the boxes on your way out this morning, and let us know. Now, we told you about this a couple weeks ago, so we gave you some heads up and a little bit uh, of warning ahead of time. But, but maybe you're still kind of in that deciding process, and maybe you're still kind of struggling with this, and think, I don't know. Then go ahead and take the card home. Think about it. Pray about it this week. But we really encourage you to take a new step of faith. It's an act of faith. It's an act of trust. It's an act of gratitude. And it's a step towards moving my heart towards generosity. 
So encourage you to do that. If you're ready to do that this morning, we encourage you to do it. Fill it out before you leave. Drop it in one of the boxes. Um, if you want to take it home, um, that's okay too. Um, but make sure that you really think this through, pray this through, and make that decision. All right? We're going to close in prayer. Would you bow your heads with me?